Thanks for being here this morning. If you have a Bible, I may encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verses, we're going to look at verses 15 through 22. Matthew chapter 22, 15 through 22. We've been looking at uh, just taking these um, snapshots of Jesus, just looking at who Jesus is, the person of Christ, um, and seeing how he handled the different situations, and just looking, looking at him the last few weeks. And we've been looking at him from different Gospels. Uh, the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they're called Gospels because they are, it's good news, and they are just the good news of who Jesus is as, uh, and what he did in seeing Jesus in that. Matthew chapter 2, Verses 15 through 22 says this, Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Let's pray. Holy Father, Lord, thanks for your word. Lord, thanks for the truth of it and the help of it and the encouragement of it and the hope of it. Lord, just thanks for gathering us together at the beginning of a week. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now that you would just teach us through your word you just guide us, that you would encourage us, that we would see Jesus better, and that we would become more like him. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Jesus is compassionate. That's what we've looked at the last few weeks. We've seen the, the compassion of Jesus. He healed uh, a widow's son. Um, he, he fed thousands of people. I mean, this is who Jesus is, the person of Jesus. He's absolutely compassionate. He takes your hurts into his heart. This is what he does. This is what he's doing right now. All the things that you're struggling with, all the questions in your mind, the truth is that Jesus is absolutely compassionate. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for us. So when the pressure builds, Jesus doesn't pull away from us. When the pressure builds, Jesus, he, 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 he leans in. He, he doesn't pull away, but the pressure is always building. And Jesus is not only compassionate, he is also committed to truth. He said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the truth is that truth is always under attack. In Genesis 3, and from the beginning... Adam and Eve were in the garden, Satan came to them, and they said, did God really say? Hath God really said, did he really say not to do this? And truth from the beginning of time has been under attack, and through just the course of human existence, truth has been under attack. And currently, in our culture, we, we know this, truth is constantly being under 
attack. And truth is still very important. I, was just, I just read an article this past week about all the nighttime, evening, late night shows uh, who are not doing so well, as well as they used to. And they're, still, and they're arguing about each other. Um, and one of them said, uh, the reason I don't get the media, uh, who, who is, um, used to get a lot of media, he goes, the reason I don't get the media that other people are getting is because I speak truth. And so because he said he speaks truth, nobody wants to hear it. And this is just the debate. Truth still matters um, in our culture, and truth is constantly under attack. There's pressure against truth continually, but there's pressure always building against truth, even personally. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So Jesus said, when there's pressures building against you personally, go to the person directly, speak to them directly, and go to him alone. Jesus was not a gossip. Jesus didn't go around and spread these things. This is how Jesus said, this is what you should do when there's pressure with truth. And Paul, but the problem is we don't always do that. Paul Miller said about the the struggles with pressures with truth personally. He says, without that kind of honesty of Matthew 18, without that kind of uh, going and tell your brother your fall between him and alone, and if he listens to you, you've gained his brother. He says, without that honesty, our relationships get weird. We all know this. We've, we've all experienced, we all have the relationships that because truth wasn't spoken personally, directly, all of a sudden it just got really weird. And maybe it's still just weird. And this is because truth is always under pressure. And the pressure to not speak truth to ourselves and and to others is a powerful tool of Satan to actively and passively destroy people physically and spiritually. How did Jesus handle that kind of pressure? How did Jesus, who was the definition of compassion and truth, deal with pressure? And from looking in Matthew chapter 22, we we can learn from watching Jesus how he handled to, to speak the truth under great pressure. I mean, Jesus was facing intense pressure. Matthew chapter 2, it is part of the last week of Jesus' life. It's part of the Passion Week. He had walked, he'd rode in, ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey. Everybody was singing Hosanna. They were celebrating him. He sees Jerusalem. He weeps over it. He goes to the temple on Monday. He sees all the chaos that's going around. He sees them selling. Uh, and just, he's just making mockery of the house of God. He turns the tables over. He has all these conversations. If you read this parts of Matthew chapter 22, he has all these active conversations against the authority. He's telling them all these parables if you read up to this point. And then this is Tuesday of Passion Week in Matthew chapter 22. He's ridden in, he's seen the problems, he's had this, these uh, confrontations with the authorities, and then he gets confronted with tons of questions. The pressure is building. 
And the pressure on Jesus, is he going to speak truth with the pressure coming, what he knows is about to come, is deeply pressing on top of him. I looked up one of the top pressures of life, and they said this is the list. The death of a loved one, a a broken marriage, moving, a major illness, and a job loss. Those are all the, when you have those kind of pressures on you, those are intense pressures of life. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is having all these pressures on top of him and even more. He's taking all of those things and on top of him and even more. And when he has all these pressures on him, what do you love when you have a lot of pressure on you at work or the family or a stressful health situation or marriage issues? What do you love when you have those kinds of pressures? People that come up to you and challenge you with questions, don't you? You just love that. You just want people to ask you a bunch of difficult questions. This is exactly where Jesus is in Matthew chapter 22. This is the pressure he's feeling about what he's ready to walk into. And it's intense because just in a few days, he's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, sweating drops of blood. He's 100% human and 100% God. And if we, don't, if we forget the human pressure that Jesus was feeling when we read through Scripture sometimes, we, we miss the person of Jesus. He was deeply pressured. He felt it coming. And he knew it was coming, and he was walking into it willingly, but he still felt it, so much so that his whole body was going to almost crush under it with the blood and sweat as he prayed. That's what he's having happen to him. And in the midst of that, he gets asked a number of questions. In Matthew chapter 22, we're just going to look at one of them. And in the midst of that pressure, the amazing thing about Jesus is that when he was reviled, he did not revile back again. Just think of the pressures that you're under even this past week. The pressures that you maybe even feel Right now, maybe it might be one of the top five pressures of life, pressures of life, or maybe just the normal pressures of life. When you're reviled, do you revile back? Jesus did not. In the midst of this pressure, he did not revile back. What kept Jesus? The thing that kept Jesus as he felt this pressure was the love of God. He knew the Father loved him. He remembered when he was baptized, and he remembers uh, hearing from heaven the Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He knew the love of God, and he leaned into the will of God. The Bible says that Jesus was led by the Spirit the entire time On earth, he walked by the Spirit. He fulfilled everything the Spirit led him to do. That is what kept him. And the place that he was at, that's what kept him. And the place that you're at right now, whatever the pressure is, the scene of your life that nobody else could see. Looking at Jesus, you couldn't see the pressure, but Jesus felt the pressure. Looking at yourself, looking in the mirror, nobody else can see it, but you see it. You feel it. What is keeping you? Or are you just reviling back at the place you're at. What kept Jesus was the love of God and being led by the Spirit. 
That's why the Apostle Paul prayed for the church, that they would know the love of God. If the pressure right now is so intense that you just find yourself riling back at everything and everybody, the greatest prayer you could pray this week is Ephesians chapter 3. God, help me to know the love of God. Help me to know the love. That, that, that's the place that Jesus was at. He was in this great place of pressure, and in that pressure, he had this plot up against him. It says in verse 15, the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. This is what their intent was. They, they got together, they saw what he was done, they'd heard all about him, they got together, and they intentionally sat down and said, how are we going to get this guy? They, they plotted it, they, they, they thought about it. How can we entangle him with his words? Because words are what will destroy. Let, let's just listen to what the Bible says about words in James chapter 3. It says in verse 7, for every kind of Beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things ought not so to be. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. When it comes to pressure and truth, it is always our words that are going to entangle us up, either the ones that were said or the ones that are in our heads, that we're, we're hearing constantly said. And this was the plot with Jesus as well. They wanted to entangle him with his words. How could we trip him up? And so this was the plan. They said, here's the plan. We're going to ask him about the poll tax. The poll tax is, they're going to decide, we're just going to find the, the latest hot political topic, and we're going to challenge him with it. The poll tax was an tax that all the adults, all the Jews that they had to pay. Uh, every age, just, just be, by the fact you're a male or a female, you had to pay the poll tax. The Jews hated it because they were under Roman control. And so this was their plan. They were going to ask Jesus, should they, as a Jew, follow and pay this tax? The, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they got together on this. Two groups that actually hated each other. The Pharisees were for the Jewish leadership. They, they would have not liked Rome putting this tax on them. And the Herodians were a group of people who followed Herod. And Herod was kind of being kept up as a puppet kind of leader with Rome. And so they kind of went along with Rome. And, but these two groups, they did not like each other, but they came together to try to trip up Jesus. And it says this, the Pharisees went with the Herodians, and they didn't go by themselves. It says this is, they, they, they went and they sent their disciples. So they came up with this plot. They came up with this plan. Let's trip Jesus up. And then this is how brave they were. Where's our young guys? Hey, you, you go talk to him, and you challenge him with this. So they sent their disciples to find Jesus, and they just, you could just almost read this, they were absolutely smug. They just thought for sure this would trip him 
up. We'll take up, we'll take care of this troubler. That was the plot. And they, they said this. This is how they started it out. Verse 16, teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions for you are not swayed by appearances. The most truthful thing that they could be said about Jesus. That, that, that was absolutely honest. He was truthful. He didn't care about people's opinions, but it was also a dishonest pitch. They didn't actually believe it. So they said to them, should we pay the poll tax or should we not pay the poll tax? And Jesus then had the, the, the challenge. If he said yes, the Pharisees would say, see, He's going against God. He is, he is for Rome. And he is uh, for saying that Caesar is God because that was what was on the, the, the face of the coins. So the Pharisee would say, no, he can't be from God if he said yes to pay it, they thought. And if he said no, they thought, well, this is great. Well, then Rome will come in and take care of this guy because he is a troubler and he's a rebel. So this is what Jesus had to deal with. And then he comes back with the absolute perfect answer. They said, tell us what you think. Should we pay Caesar or not? But Jesus, it says, was aware of their malice. He was aware of their attack. And he says, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? The one who is 100% compassionate comes out with hypocrites to these people. Jesus always spoke the truth. He says he, he knew what was going on. And he goes, why, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Why did he call them hypocrites? Verse 20, he says, and Jesus said to them, and, and, and they, he says, show me the coin for the tax. And so they went and got him a coin. Or they pulled out a coin. This is how they were hypocrites. They asked Jesus, should we pay this poll tax or not? Should we give to Caesar or should we not? And Jesus says, show me the denarius. And they instantly pulled out the denarius. Jesus didn't have the coin. They pulled out the coin. They pulled out the coin around the temple, and on the coin of the denarius, which was like a coin for a one day's labor, was the picture of Caesar, which basically said he is God, and no truly righteous Jewish person would be carrying around the denarius. And Rome knew that, so they had made other coins that a Jewish person could carry around. So they didn't have to carry around this coin that says Caesar is Lord. But the Pharisees and the Herodians, they had no problem carrying this coin around. And they instantly bring it up to trip Jesus up with it. And Jesus said, listen, 
And this is why his answer was not a dodge. What they demonstrated was, hey, Jesus, should we pay the tax or not? And Jesus says, well, show me the coin. Sure, they pulled the coin out without any thought and showed it to him, which means they were trusting in the coin. They were using the coin. The coin gave them security with Rome. They, they, had, they had stability. They had the, the, taken care of the inflation problem for them if they used these coins. And instead of trusting God, they were using the coin. And, God, and Jesus' response to them was, give Caesar what's Caesar's and give God's what's God's. Jesus never let himself get dragged into the current cultural, political, hot topic of the day. He didn't let himself get wrapped up into it. What he said is, give to Caesars what's Caesars, and give to God's what's God's. And here's the point. Jesus always spoke truth in the midst of pressure because he was totally submitted to the will of the Father. Jesus always said, not my will, but your will be done. What's your response to, to pressures and how you respond with speaking truth when the pressure is on you? The answer to that will be how you answer the question, who do you belong to? Whose are you? We get filled with pressures in life constantly. And when those pressures come on us, our natural inclination is to not always be people that speak the truth, not always be people who have compassion. When Jesus was under the pressure, he always was compassionate and he always spoke the truth because he knew who he belonged to. We feel sometimes, I mean, just the government is who we belong to. Or you may feel like it's a job that's got all this pressure on you. Or it's a family situation that's just putting all this unbelievable pressure on you. Or maybe it's just things that have just consumed you, so it's putting so much pressure on you. Waldo Emerson said, things are in the saddle and ride mankind. That they can just control us, put all these pressures on us, and they feel like they make us, whether we have to keep going back to as Christians, who do you belong to? What's the image on the coin is what Jesus asked. What's on the coin? And on the head of the coin was Caesar. And so God said, Jesus said, pay to Caesar what's Caesar's, pay to God what's God's. He was not dodging the question. He was very clear in Romans that he set up authority and governments. And so all of it is God's, is what he's saying. So if Caesar asks, and you're using the benefits of Caesar, then give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And when God asks, and you're using the benefits of God, then give to God what God asks of you. Because the question really is, who do you belong to? What's the image on the coin? What's the image on the coin of your life? Jesus, the Bible says in Genesis 1.26, let us make mankind 
in our image after our likeness. What we have been imprinted on as human beings is the image of God. That's what marks us. And the only people who really can see that are true followers of Jesus Christ. And the more you develop, and the only way that you're going to be able to develop compassionate truth-telling in the midst of constant pressures is to always be remembering that what has marked you is the image of God. That's what marks you. It's who, that's what's on your image as a human being. God owns you. He, got, he owns all of us. And because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, he's bought us back. How do you develop that kind of compassionate truth-telling when there's just intense pressure in your life? When the pressure is on, how do you keep reminding yourself to respond in the way that Jesus responds? You have to develop a God consciousness. What I mean is just we have to constantly remind ourselves, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Because of what Christ did for me, I'm not my own. I can't just use my words the way I want to use my words. I can't just use my fingers to type whatever I want to type on the computer so other people can see just because I want to say that and express that feeling, just because I feel this pressure on me. We have to constantly say, no, God, you, you are my life. You are what marks me. It is practicing the presence of God. There was an old monk years ago named Brother Andrew who, who, who left where he lived and he went to work in a monastery and he would wash dishes. That's what he did for years. He just washed the dishes, but he would practice the presence of God. And he just, he loved it. He learned to love God by saying, as I'm washing these dishes in the middle of this monastery basement. It is, I'm doing it for the glory of God. When you go to work, he's do, he did everything for the glory of God, and what helped him was to, to consciously practice the presence of God. How, how would I clean this plate for God? How would I make this bed for God? How, how would I spend my time for God? The only way we're going to deal with these pressures is by developing this God consciousness, this practicing the presence of God, and then we also just have to drop any hidden agendas. Jesus had no hidden agendas. He was very open about his agenda. There's nothing hidden. The Pharisees and the Herodians, they had hidden agendas. Jesus' agenda was this. I came that others may have life and life more abundantly. I came to surrender my life. I came to take on the form of a, of a servant. Is that how you view your life? Just surrender? Is your response in the pressure, not my will, but your will be done? It's hard. But this is what we are called to do. We have to develop and kill off hidden agendas. We have to develop a fear of God over a fear of man. When God is big, and people are small in our lives. We will be people 
who walk with compassion and truth. But when people are big and God gets small, when the pressure comes, we're going to be struggle to be people of truth and to be people of compassion. But when Jesus did that, when he said that to them, and they knew it wasn't a dodge, he answered their question. He called them on their hypocrisy. He knew that they had been busted. This is what it said, verse 22. When they heard it, when they heard Jesus' answer, they marveled and they left him and went away. When Jesus gave that answer, no one dared to ask him in that group any more questions. Jesus is not to be toyed with. Revelation 2.18 says about Jesus that he has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Jesus was not just this meek, weak, compassionate, little truth-telling guy carrying around a guitar with barefoot walking around Judea. He came very compassionately. He came very humbly. But who he truly is, is he is the Lord. And he, is like a, he has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And these little group of guys, they came up and they thought, hey, we are going to trip up Jesus. And we can't. And they could not either. But this is who he is. This is our God if you're a follower of Christ. And the truth about that God for, this, for you is this, that that God who has eyes of fire and feet of bronze, he claims you. He, he, he claims you with all your struggle, with all your pressures, with all the difficulties. He sees you and he says, I remember they're just made of dust. I want them and he claims you. And then he furnishes us with church, with his word, with others. And he, get, he calls us to give to God what belongs to God, which namely is ourselves. And he's a God who's got a plan for you, and he's got a future for us because of what he did. In the most intense times of pressure, Jesus spoke truth with compassion. That's the God we serve. What marks your life? What's the image that you are showing? What's the view that you demonstrate? If you want to learn and grow in your ability in the midst of pressure to reflect Christ, then develop your God consciousness. Practice the presence of God. Surrender His wills. Look and lean into Jesus, because he is our holy God.